turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 3. We are continuing our series that we've uh, started in early June and we'll be carrying through the summer. We're doing a study on the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And just to kind of recap or catch you up, or maybe, maybe you've missed some of them, or maybe today's your first Sunday, the name of this series is Love Is. And we've been talking about in these books how uh, John, the writer of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, defined love, how he described it, the definition he gave of it. And so, so far we've said love is deep. In the very first introduction, love is deep enough to heal even the most personal wounds. Then in 1 John 1, we said love is honest. It's honest enough to deal with our sins. And then in 1 John chapter 2, last week we said love is loyal. It's loyal enough to reject all other loves. And today as we look at 1 John chapter 3, if you've got something to write on, you might want to scratch a few notes. Today we're going to say love is active. Now this is the first definition of love that we find that's a verb and not a noun. Love is deep, honest, loyal. But now love is a verb, love is active. Uh, this summer I picked up a book called Love Does uh, by Bob Goff. And he tells a, a cool story in the book. He and his wife live in Florida somewhere on a bay. And he said that in the evening... They'll sit out uh, on the back porch, and people will walk by. There's a public walkway kind of just outside their backyard. And he said people walk by, and they wave, and the people wave back, you know, and they wave. This is kind of, they watch the sun go down. He said one evening they were sitting out, and this young guy came strolling down the path, and he got right to the end of the path, and he turned and faced their house and just stood and stared. And he said really it was kind of awkward, so, that, you know, they waved, and then the, he just kept waving, so they waved again, hey, still here, kept waving. Then he said it was so awkward to break the awkwardness, he got up off the porch and went out and said, hey, how are you doing? He said, fine, how are you? And he said, uh, what's your name? He said, my name's Ryan. He said, well, Ryan, uh, is there anything I can do for you? And he said, yeah, um, and he stammered around and got this glassy-eyed look on his face, and he said, I was sort of wondering... Um, if it would be okay, well, there's this thing, I, I, my girlfriend and I, if, well, I was wondering if, could I use your backyard to ask my girlfriend to marry me? And he said, how's that? He said, well, I just want to have a good setting, and this is so beautiful, and could I bring my girlfriend here, and could I ask her to marry me in your backyard? He goes, well, sure, yeah, why not? I mean, that, that's harmless enough, sure, let's do that. So he said, about a, the next day, they're sitting out on the back porch, and here comes Ryan skipping down the sidewalk, and he stands and looks at him again, and um, he waves at him. He says, hey, Ryan, how you doing? He said, fine. He said, he got that glassy-eyed look again, kind of crazy look, and he said, I, you know, I was sort of wondering, you know how you were going to let me use the backyard to ask my girlfriend? He goes, well, I was sort of wondering. He said, I knew something was coming because he had to do the same thing again. He said, do you think it'd be okay if... You know, I brought something, and we had a little dinner on your back porch before that. Well, you know, what the heck? I mean, we're already in. You want to eat dinner on a stranger's back porch? You want to ask, okay, all right, whatever. So Ryan skipped off into the sunset, and he said this routine carried on for several days. 
You know, every day his wife, he, he, he said, I found myself looking at my watch wondering when Ryan was going to come bouncing down the sidewalk because every day Ryan would come back and he would ask something else. So a couple of days later he came and he said, you know how we were going to, yes, okay, I know how you're going to ask your girlfriend in the backyard now. Yeah, I got it. What do you want? Well, I was wondering if it'd be okay if um, we had a little music and we maybe could dance a little bit after dinner. Just to, you know, I want the night to be perfect. Okay, you want to have dinner on my back porch, you want to play music. All right, he said, I got some speakers, I'll hook them up. I'll put, you know, they're like, they're like conspirators now in this thing. They're contriving this. Okay, I'll, I'll put them out there. You're not going to believe this. I, I wasn't there, but he swears the story's true. The next day, Ryan comes back and he says, I want the meal to be perfect. Do you think that maybe uh, some of my friends could come in and prepare the meal? And, they, and they, he just, he's going to move in the back bedroom before long. Could just, they could just prepare the meal because I want it to be perfect and they could serve us the different courses throughout. I mean, I just want it to be perfect. He said, well, how many friends? He said he got that glassy look again. He said about 20. 20? You want 20 people to come into my house and use my kitchen? He said, okay, what, what, I mean, we're so far in now, what could possibly matter? Another day goes by. Ryan bounces back. I had one more question. <laughs> Do you happen to have a boat? <laughs> a boat? Well, I've got a little small boat. He goes, I just want this to be so perfect. I was wondering if it would be okay. I'd really like to take her out in the water to this spot after dinner and after we dance. And I'd like to take her to the spot I've picked out. And it's so. And if we could just go out there and I could ask her to marry me there, would that be okay? He said, yes. I mean, yeah, whatever. He thinks he's going to put him in his will before long. Sure, whatever. Yeah, you can get a boat and ask her to come marry you there. Well, unbeknownst to Ryan, uh, Bob, the, the guy who wrote the story, he's, he's already gotten bit by the bug now. He's trying to figure out, hey, I mean, I'm so far in now, how can I take this thing up another level? So he happened to have a few friends in the Coast Guard. So he called the Coast Guard and said, hey, can you kind of meet us at this night? And he sort of, you know, set this up unbeknownst to everybody else in the world. And so the night came. And here comes Ryan walking down the sidewalk with his girlfriend, hand in hand. It's a beautiful evening. The sun's going down. And he just starts cutting across this people's yard into their back porch. And she goes, Ryan, where are we going? And sets her up into a nice table with candles and music's playing. Whose house is this, Ryan? Is this okay? Yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I've worked it all out. And so, and so now, there they are in the back porch with candlelight and the music's going on. And friends who she recognized start popping out the back door, bringing things. Could I get you this? Could I get you that? And it is like a five-star fine restaurant. Everything's flowing. And then after a dinner, they slow dance to a couple of songs on the back porch. And then he says, hey, let's go for a walk. And they walk down the sidewalk and get into a little boat where Bob's there ready to... And she says, is this, where are we going? This is, this is crazy. No, just come with me. So they row out in the little boat. Bob kind of takes them out to the spot that they predetermined. And just in case Ryan completely messes it up, he has already arranged 50 other friends who have spelled, will you marry me in candlelight on the beach? 
so they could look back and see it in case he can't get the words out. Unbeknownst to all of them, Bob has arranged for his friends in the Coast Guard to pull their big rescue ship right up behind the little boat. And when he kneels down and opens the case and pops the question and says, Will you marry me? She looks and sees the candlelight on the beach. Will you marry me? And every water gun on the Coast Guard ship goes off. Blah! And it looked like something that should have been at the 4th of July parade in New York City. But it wasn't. It was Ryan. <laughs> this wide-eyed kid who, who to Bob was a total stranger, but nobody was a stranger to him. To him, the whole world was filled with conspirators when it came to winning over his love. Now, knowing that story about Ryan, there's no way you could ever foresee a day where a kid like this didn't express himself, right? One of the things that you learn is being engaged isn't just an event that happens when a guy asks his true love to marry him. Being engaged is a way of doing life. It's a way of living. It's an expression. And I think this story paints such an incredible picture of what love is. You could no more imagine Ryan of restraining himself and holding himself back and not expressing those feelings in some way. And John, who wrote the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he would have never understood Christian love that didn't express itself, that didn't have some outlet. See, love is, well, love is, love is not passive. Love is not unengaged. It is not forgetful. It is not easily discouraged. It is not lazy. There is no such thing as inactive love or uninvolved love. Even when love waits, it does so on purpose. So it is engaged even in its passivity. In the background of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, I just want to remind you a little bit about what that was. When John wrote these books, he wrote them out of loving concern for his disciples because their faithfulness was being uh, challenged. Their faithfulness to God and the truth was being challenged by worldliness, uh, by uh, bad teaching. And so John kind of starts to lay out in chapter 3, at the beginning, he sort of starts to lay out of this theology to help you understand what he's going to say later in the chapter. He starts by saying something like this. Listen, the world didn't recognize Jesus, and so the world's not going to recognize you. The world, in other words, didn't recognize Christ's loving actions, and the world's not going to recognize ours. And then he gives an example from the Old Testament at the very beginning about Cain and Abel. He said, look, just, just like Cain killed Abel, <clears throat> those, those who live right will also be persecuted. Those who seek to be filled with God's love will face resistance. Cain didn't kill Abel because Abel was evil. Cain killed Abel because Abel was righteous. The world didn't crucify Christ because he was bad. The world crucified Christ because he was good. And John sort of sums up all of this area by saying, but none of that should be surprising to you. Actually, it's very normal. When a righteous person comes along, when a loving person comes along, it reminds people who aren't righteous and aren't loving how unloving and how bad they are. 
And you only have two options at that point. Reconcile it by becoming loving or reconcile it by destroying the person who is. And so it's actually a very normal thing in a broken world that happens. But John goes on to say, don't let that surprise you. And I, every Christian has that moment where they realize that there's actually a world around us that is hostile to us, not when we do everything wrong, but when we do things right. I mean, you can buy into this sort of uh, mentality that if I just live my life right, everything will turn out the way I want it to. But that, that's not what the Bible says. Sometimes when you live your life right, it will cause bad things to happen to you. Sometimes it will, it will garner, it will welcome, it will, it will bring into your life some negative things. But John says, that's not even what I'm here to talk about. That's not even what, that shouldn't even surprise you. That's normal. And then he goes on to say, but let me tell you what's not normal. Let me tell you what should be surprising. Let me tell you what should be shocking. When one Christian hates another Christian, that should be shocking. That is abnormal. When one Christian harbors in their heart resentment and bitterness and frustration and anger and they wish evil things on another believer, now that, that's abnormal. That's not right. And so... If you remember the context, there's a group of people inside the church that had begun to teach wrong things about Christ himself. They taught that Jesus didn't even have a, a physical body. He, he didn't even have, uh, he, he, he wasn't both God and man. So they began to doubt that and teach strongly against it. So they were teaching things about Christ that wasn't even true. And so they had broken away from the other group, and they were trying to get the group to come out. So they were now harming the church. They were now harming the family of God. And so I think what John's doing is he's trying to toughen them up. He's trying to say, look, you have, you've experienced loss. There's, this has been a confusing time. It's been frustrating. But don't let your heart grow cold. In your stand for the truth, if you begin to hate, you will lose your heart. You must firmly stand for the truth, but you must also ferociously love the people of God. And in our day, I can't think of hardly a more relevant message. Things are changing in our country. Things are going directions that we sometimes don't want them to go, don't think they should go. The Bible teaches against. But what are you going to do? Are you going to hate? You're going to rise up in, you're going to rise up in, in anger and Bitterness and frustration, we can't be bullied into, we can't be sucked into those demonic traps that damn up and hinder the love of God. We can't be sucked in. And I think John was trying to say, look, you have experienced a lot of bad stuff, but you can't become calloused. You cannot allow your stance for the truth to make you lose heart, make you lose your compassion, and make you lose your love. And then in the last half of the chapter, he describes what love is and how it works. If you have a pen, let me give you a few thoughts. I'll give you three. The whole basis of the series, this series in the summer, is called Love Is, or What is Love? 
If you want the answer to that question, we've highlighted this in almost every message. Look at Jesus. So 1 John 3.16, now maybe some of you caught that reference. I find it ironic how much 1 John 3.16 is alike John 3.16. But look at it with me. This is how, if you've got a pen, circle that word. This is how we know what love is. How? How? How do we know what love is? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So Joel said it so well last week. We have the freedom to love God or not love God. God gives us that freedom to love him or reject him. What God does not give us the freedom to do is to define what love is. He reserves the exclusive right to define what love is. And so for some people, uh, the world may define love as tolerance. Someone else may define it as permissiveness. Or some may define it as tough love, strict, militant love. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this first point down. Love is sacrifice. This is how Jesus defined it. This is how God defined it. This is how the Bible defines it. Love is sacrifice. We don't know that God loved us because he told us he did. That's what this verse says. We know that God loves us because Christ laid his life down for us. He showed us love is active. It is engaged. It is expressive. It is sacrificial. It must express itself. This is why we do things like what we did yesterday. This is why we do stuff like Celebrate America. Because you can hang banners all over our property and say, God loves you. We can put it on our website. We can put it on cards and hand it out. We can put it on postcards and we can mail it to every home in in Shelby County. But that would have never been enough for God. He determined that it wasn't going to be enough for him to tell the world. He had to show the world. And so what we did yesterday is we got out and opened our arms and said, it's not enough for us to say it. Talk is cheap. We got to show. We've got to demonstrate. We've got to express. And by the way, it has to cost us something. And when it does, boy, how the message is so simple. And it's so clear. And it comes through. And there's a lot of stuff you don't have to say. It just comes through. And so that's one of the reasons that we do those things. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Boy, that's a good verse, isn't it? Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let me show you how this works. Several days ago, maybe a week and a half or so ago, we had a, a supermoon. Anybody, anybody go outside and see the supermoon? Yes? Come on, don't be ashamed. Put it up there. It's okay. You're a star watcher. We got it. The supermoon, right? You went out and watched the supermoon. Did it have a cape on? Oh, Superman. No, I get those confused. Supermoon. The supermoon, this is kind of how this thing works. The supermoon sort of appears a few times a year, 
beautiful round light in the sky, but it only has light, it only glows because it reflects the sun. Now when you and I go out and we show people we love them, when you turn to your wife, your husband, your children, your co-worker, your family, your community, your neighborhood, whatever, when you go out and show your family, you show the people around you that you love them, then what happens is it looks like this. Light is shining. The light of the sun reflects off the moon. So when we walk in the light, we keep our face toward the light, we keep our eyes on Jesus, this is what happens. We become a reflection of God's light. That's how it looks when we well, put the moon up there. Sorry, I thought that was the moon. Put the, put the, there you go, super moon, right? That's how it looks when we do it. Beautiful, clear, sharp, shining, gets people's attention. What does the verse say? Let your light so shine before others. They may see your good deeds and glorify your heaven. That's how it looks when we do it. But let me show you what it looked like when Jesus did it. Watch this. That's not it. One more. Is there anything else there? Yeah, I know, right? You play the... Uh, do we have the other one? No, no, he's saying no. Okay, pretend there's a bright sunshine, glowing, hot. He's waving at me. What am I supposed to do? It's still not there. I don't know what that means. All right, anyway, imagine, imagine, you'll tell me? Okay, okay, imagine... Okay, it's still not there. Just black it out. It's killing me. All right. Imagine, imagine a big, bright sun. Okay? What I, wanted to show you is the, what I wanted to show you is the difference between something that reflects light and something that gives it. And so when we, when we serve, when we love sacrificially, we become like the moon, glowing, beautiful, make an impact, light, but nothing like the sun. And so I want to show you this is what John's point was. In 1 John 3, this is how we know what love is. Jesus showed us, and it was bright, and it lit up the entire world. Jesus showed us what love is, but every time we express our love sacrificially, we catch some of the light of Jesus, and we glow like the moon. We reflect his love. Every time we sacrificially love, the principle of the cross of Christ is at work again. We don't have to wonder if that light's going to make an impact because it does. Now what's interesting about all of this is what John is trying to say is love is sacrificial. And then he actually goes further and says, hey, you don't have to wonder if you're a believer or not. You don't have to wonder if you're a Christian or not. There's a simple test to determine whether you're a Christian or not. And here's the test. Love. When you feel the love of God well up in your heart for other believers, it's an inner witness that you're a child of God. When other believers' suffering moves you to tears, to action, when compassion pours out of your heart, it's a sign you're a child of God. 
When your love pushes you to overcome differences between you and another believer, it's a sign that you're a child of God. When you see a believer in need and you act sacrificially to help them, it's a witness that you're a child of God. When a missionary comes through and you sacrificially give to help get them on their way, it's a sign you're a child of God. These things are signs that you're a believer because your love expresses itself in sacrifice. Now, let me make a strong statement to you. You can read 1 John 3, you can read it yourself, it's right there. Here's what he's saying. If you're showing love and expressing it and not just saying it, loving the Christians that you know makes, means that you're a Christian. If you're not showing love to other believers, you're not a Christian. If you hate if you hate other believers, if you have a, a strong animosity and uh, tear down and destroy and all of those things, what John says here is he's trying to tell them, look, this group is acting wrong and they've taken off and separated from the church and now they're trying to destroy and try to harm. And what, what John is saying is they're acting like the Antichrist. They're tearing down Christ's body. They're hurting it and destroying it. And you and I do the same thing when we harbor anger in our heart and hatred in our heart toward other believers. This was a strong message. So that's a tough reality to say, you mean if I hate, if I hate another believer, that I'm not a Christian? Well, that's what John said. Now let's unpack that for a minute. Let me give you the second point. Fortunately, because we tend to live our spirituality and push it outside, we always look for outside ways to measure the inside. In other words, if I do this, I'm a Christian. If I go to church every week, I'm a Christian. If I don't cuss, I'm a Christian. If, you know, we got the little checklist. And so we try to measure the inside by the outside. We try to, we try to do things on the outside to make the inside work. And fortunately, John didn't stop here because that's a tough place to stop. Here's the second thing. We don't have to keep score. 1 John 3, 18 through 21. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. That is a powerful verse. If you have a pen underlined, this is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence with God. Here's the thing. Our, our hearts are set at rest in his presence because God knows everything. We are, we are broken people and we tend to compare ourselves to others and we tend to listen to other people's opinions about us. But God's perfect knowledge of us is not something we should be afraid of. You know, for too long people point their finger at people and say, you better, you know, God sees what you're doing. God knows what you're up to. You better watch out. You better look over your shoulder. You better not go there. You better not say that. You better not, better not, better not, better not. That's not how the Bible teaches it. The Bible teaches that the fact that God knows everything ought to be a comfort to you, not a fear. God knows everything. 
So he knows your heart. He knows your intention. He knows when you didn't mean to. He knows what you were trying to do, even if it messed up. He knows your heart. And that will set your heart at rest in his presence. It's not an issue of fear. It's an issue of hope. So no matter how feeble our actions are, God knows our heart. So you don't have to keep score. You don't have to say, did I do more good this week than bad? Did I do more bad than do good? I haven't done this, so let me make up for it and try to go do something real good for a while. We don't have to live in this weight system. Now, by now you may be saying, wait a minute, in one breath you say, the one who shows love is a Christian, the one who does not show love is not. In the other breath you say, don't keep score. Which one is it? Right. Right. Which one is it? Loving sacrificially cannot make you a Christian. But true Christians love sacrificially. It's, it's the cart and the horse idea. See, John's question that he was answering in this chapter is not how do you become a Christ-like person. You can think I'm saying, love everybody and you'll become a Christ-like person. No, become a Christ-like person and you'll love everybody. It's the fruit, it's the overflow. A Christ-like person is a person who loves sacrificially. So what do you do? Guard your heart, love God and love people, and trust the God who knows everything. That he knows your heart, he knows where you're at, he knows what you're going through, he knows every hair on your head, he's counted them. Even a bird doesn't fall to the ground that his eye doesn't see. And the Bible says, John, look, John knows he's in the middle of a big intense thing with these guys. And he says, but look, guys, don't let your heart get all revved up. Your heart will be set at rest in, his, in the presence of the God who knows everything. And that's not to be feared. That's to, that's to be a comfort to you. Now, here's the last thought. And I'll ask the worship team to come. Love for people and prayer are connected. 1 John 3, 21 and 22 says, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And receive from Him anything, isn't this interesting? And receive from Him anything we ask. Because we keep His commands and do what pleases him. How would you like to receive anything you ask from God? <laughs> That'd be, I'm there. Hey, I'm, I'm my hands up. You'd like to receive anything that you ask from God. Why? Because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. This is sort of a mystery to me, but I see the connection in scripture. Somehow, as we practice love sacrificially, as we practice it in action, our prayers become refined and more real, more compassionate. The more that you serve, the more that you sacrifice, the more that you allow the love of God to express itself through you, the more effective your prayer life's going to get. Because what's working its way in is working its way out. Think about the places we see this in Scripture. Jesus taught it in the Lord's Prayer. If you don't forgive, right after the Lord's Prayer, if you don't forgive those who have sinned against you, then neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. Somehow, lovingly forgiving those around you strengthens the connection to your Father. 1 Peter 3.7 says, 
Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Somehow, how a husband treats his wife can hinder his prayer life. Because this and this is connected. And so as you allow the love of God to push you on into sacrificial action, it opens up somehow a channel with you and God. It strengthens your prayer life. It connects you closer to the Father. When we live a life of love, we know what to pray for. I think that's the reason that the Bible says you, you receive everything you ask for. Because when you live a life of sacrificial love, you know what to ask for. You ask for the right stuff. And God says, yes. Yes, that's what I've been wanting to talk to you about. Yes, that's what I've been waiting for. Yes, that's what I've been wanting you to do. Yes, that's what I've been wanting you to say. Then the answer is yes. The answer is yes. The Bible says all the promises of God are what? Are yes. So when you ask for the things that God has promised, when you ask for the things that God's word says, when you ask for the things that are on God's heart, the answer is yes. Yes. And that happens as we allow God's love to work through us, get outside of us, and, and it's sacrificial to us. God's love becomes activated in our life. Love is sacrifice. Love is active. You don't have to keep score. And somehow or another, love, prayer are connected. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. truth is this is the most important moment of the day because this is the moment you decide whether you're going to activate whether you're going to engage what's in your heart or whether you're not and so this moment is a critical moment I was thinking there have to be people here this morning that there's animosity in your heart toward somebody else. There's maybe there's been a wound, maybe there's been an offense, maybe there's been pain, maybe it comes from your childhood or your family, maybe it comes from living life this week. Who knows? but it's there. And I just want to counsel you from 1 John. John says to us, love is sacrificial. Which means sometimes you say, this person wronged me and they need to pay for it. And the love of sacrifice that works its way in forgiveness says, they don't have to, they don't have to fix this. I forgive and I let go. 
times there's uh, tension in the heart, uh, anger built up, frustration. I, I talked to a man yesterday at Celebrated America's having such a hard time on his job. Who knows where it is? But I'm saying to you, this morning I want to ask you to do one of two things. Either come and say, would you pray with me? I want to let go and forgive today. Or maybe I want you to take the step and say, I want to pray for that person. Remember what I said, prayer and love is connected? I bet if you start praying for the person you're frustrated at, your heart will start to change. You know, you know what the guy said to me that had a hard time at work yesterday? He said, man, I, it literally, he said, it's a big guy, man. It's about 6'5". Big guy. And, and, and he, he's a younger guy. In his 20s, he's a big, big man. He said, I was on the job and I got crushed so hard. He said, it literally, I had to turn away. It really brought me to tears. He said, I didn't know what to do, so I spent the lunch hour, I got my Bible, and I just read the Bible and journaled. And he said, you know what? When I got done with lunch, I went back, and he said, everything was exactly the way it was. It was frustrating. It was anger. It was, it was harsh. The, envi every, the environment was just as bad as it was before. He said, but you know what? I was different. He said, I had changed. In that one lunch hour, I had changed. And so I'm telling you, when you start to engage God on these things, Stuff, they may not change, but your heart changes. So to, this morning, maybe you say, I want to step out and engage sacrificially, and I want to pray for the person. I want somebody to agree with me. Here's the last thing. Some of you are here, and you say, there's no rest in your heart. And I love this verse that says, our hearts are set at rest in His presence. And there are just some things that you need to resolve. They may be between you and God. They may be just in life. But your heart, if you were honest, if we could hold an x-ray up to your heart today, your heart would be tied up in knots. You are stressed. You are frustrated. You are tense. There is tension. And maybe it's because you need a miracle. Maybe it's because you need a job change. Maybe it's because there's relationship tension. And here's all I'm saying today. I want to invite you into the presence of the God who knows everything. And as you come into His presence, I'm telling you, your heart will change and start to come to rest. So every eye closed this morning, I just want to ask you this. If you're here today and you say, that's my deal. You know, it's a relationship that's strained. There's some frustration. There's some anger. There's some wound. There's some hurt. Would you just lift a hand and say, man, that's my thing this morning. I got it. I got it. Let's, let's get this done with today. Man, I see your hands. Yes. Front, the back, the side, the balcony. Yes. I want to invite you in a minute. Just come and let's pray. Maybe you're here and you say, my heart is overwhelmed. My heart is tired. My heart is weary. My heart is frustrated. I'm, I'm inviting you today to the presence of God that will set your heart at rest. Lift your hand and say, that's me today. My heart, my heart is weary. My heart is stressed. Lord Jesus, as we enter your presence this morning again, I pray that you would calm, come like a calming wave across this room today. May we leave now feeling the love of God. Your love for us is so profound, it'll cause us to love. It'll cause us to rest worship team begins to sing. If you lifted your hand, I want you to come now and find one of the prayer team. And man, just, let's just come into agreement today. Let's just come into agreement today. Come on to the presence of God. Come on home. Come on home. There's peace. There's life. 
There's safety. There's joy. Let your heart come to rest.